0: I'm Spencer Levy, and this is The Weekly Take. Coming up on this episode, we're drilling down into some dramatic business news that's been overshadowed by other crises in the headlines. We're talking about oil. What's been going on is
1: unprecedented. We went from a world of normal oil prices to a complete collapse at a degree
0: that had never been seen before. That's Dan Jurgen, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and one of the world's foremost experts on the energy industry, whose forthcoming
2: book is... The new map, energy, climate, and the clash of nations. I mean, what people need to realize is it's oil, but it's energy, but it's power, transportation, lights, and it also has to do with what used to be referred to as following the drill bit.
0: And that's Craig Beyer, a 35-year veteran of the real estate business and a leader in CBRE's global energy practice. Oil and real estate, who's driving? That's next on The Weekly Take. This is The Weekly Take, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Jurgen, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author of three books, including the prize, the epic quest for oil money and power, and his new book, The New Map, Energy, Climate, and the Clash of Nations. Dan joins us from his home in Washington, D.C. And I'm also delighted to be joined by CBRE's Vice Chairman, Craig Beyer, who is based in Houston, but calling us today from Big Sky Country in Whitefish, Montana. Dan, Craig, welcome.
1: Thank you. Great to join you and Craig
2: on the weekly take this week. Thank you. And Dan, it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to you.
0: You know, ever since we started this podcast two months ago, I wanted to have an episode focusing on the oil business because there's so much turmoil in the industry right now. And yet the timing of the current oil crisis in mid-March means that the story of what's happening there has been overshadowed by the pandemic. But there's a lot more to it than just cheap gas, and it's really gone unnoticed by the general public. Dan, bring us up to speed. What's been going on in the oil business? What's been going on is unprecedented.
1: We went from a world of normal oil prices to a complete collapse at a degree that had never been seen before. Negative prices, minus $37 a barrel, and we've now seen a recovery. And all of that has happened in almost warp time while we've
0: been in this COVID crisis. Let's talk about that in terms of the history of oil and real estate. So Dan, in your terrific Pulitzer Prize winning books, you talk in great length about the history of oil When I was reading the book, I also saw the history of real estate, from Henry Flagler and his development of Florida, to the development of Los Angeles, to the development of Texas. Dan, could you just talk for a moment about the history of oil and how it might apply to real estate? Uh, History of oil
1: uh, applies in so many different ways. First, of course, the development of cities. But it's also, of course, the development of transportation, uh, the suburbs, uh, the ability for people to, to move around. So uh, history of real estate in many ways does mirror what's happened in terms of uh, how we use energy and uh, in particular oil.
2: Well, I think uh, kind of picking up on what Dan said, I mean, what, what people need to realize is it's oil, but it's energy, but it's power, transportation, lights. And it also has to do with what used to be referred to as following the drill bit, right? So you have these areas that Dan's talking about, like London, Paris, uh, Houston, Texas, et cetera, that were, you know, heavily populated areas, but you still had to get to where it was, right? So you have all these other infrastructures that got set up. And so as all that developed, it developed into a, you know, spoken hub situation for, you know, the oil and gas business, which is still there today.
0: How do you think COVID changes uh, the transportation equation, and where people work? I think uh, COVID uh, both uh, increases
1: the use of the car uh, and decreases the use of the car. I think it increases it because there's going to be a preference for people to drive as opposed to public transport, to drive as opposed to flying. But at the same time, uh, I think and the maybe more desire to work in the suburbs and drive to work. On the other hand, you also have telecommuting, which has become a really important part of, you know, experience that's come out of this. And I think that we will see uh, people, you know, a question of how much time people spend working from home. And so we're really going to see a competition between electrons and molecules uh, in terms of uh, how,
0: Uh, people connect with other people in terms of doing their business and living their lives. Let's pull the lens back a little bit, being a little bit more global for a second here. Let's talk about alternative energy. Uh, A lot of world economies and their entire solvency of many countries is dependent upon a price of oil being above a certain breakpoint. Dan, do you see the shift away from oil as a good thing or a bad thing for these types of economies?
1: I think those economies need to diversify so that they're not so vulnerable to what are the cycles of the markets. There have been cycles in the past and there'll be cycles in the future. And so more balanced economies are very important for those countries to be able to benefit from the upside of the cycle, and not be hit so hard by the downside. Are we headed for a carbon-free world? Uh, No, we're not headed for a carbon-free world anytime soon. The European Union and various countries have set net zero carbon is a target, but that's a very big reach to achieve that. Net zero means that you'll still have carbon, but you'll be able to capture it through natural plants, uh, through technology and so forth. So there's going to be a push in that direction, but there are 276 million automobiles in the United States today. Those cars aren't going anywhere.
0: The average car in the United States stays on the road for 11.8 years. Let me give you a wild what if. Cold fusion becomes attainable tomorrow, soon thereafter. What happens to the world economy?
1: Well, I think the world economy is so big, uh, you know, it was $90 trillion before this uh, crisis. So you're not going to change that overnight, but there will be new innovations. Just as uh, I should add one other thing, whatever the price of oil is today, it won't be that price a year and a half from now.
0: So, Craig, let's talk about geopolitics and real estate demand. How do you advise your clients to take into consideration some of these global events when coming down to just very basic real estate needs uh, in markets like Houston?
2: Well, in markets like Houston, I mean, what you have to remember is is these people all understand all these geopolitical issues. We're talking to them as much as they're talking to us. But I think what it's really going to come down to is where can they operate the safest, most efficiently, and where can they make the most money? You know, when you take, you know, this this rebalance of energy uh, around the world, which you're also going to have to pay attention to is the cost of living and tax structures of these various places, because that's going to come into play is where people go and work.
0: In reading your new book, Dan, The New Map, Energy, Climate and the Clash of Nations, um, I certainly am interested in your point of view of what's changed in your point of view because of the COVID crisis, in terms of the clash for resources. You
1: know, I looked at it in more geopolitical terms. First is really how the development of U.S. shale has really uh, changed many maps in the United States in terms of where we get our energy supplies, but also changed the maps of geopolitics. I spend time in India, and I can see our whole relationship with India has changed because we're now supplying them with energy. There's a whole foundation to what previously was a rather uh, difficult relationship. Uh, it's something where the Russians feel very competitive. The Chinese wanna buy U.S. energy as part of the trade relationship. On the other hand, we also see uh, clash of nations. We see the relationship with the U.S. has already gone sour with Russia, and we see it changing fast with China. And that has a lot of implications for the world economy, including for real estate, if you just think about some parts of the world. Uh, So uh, geopolitics and energy go together, and together they affect
0: other things. Let's turn this conversation just a touch away from the global picture to the domestic one here in the U.S., specifically about an issue that's uh, come up on just about all of our podcasts, is that the CBD, the Central Business District versus suburbs, and oil was essential to the rise of the suburbs uh, 100 years ago with the automobile Uh, But now what we're seeing is people are afraid of getting on mass transit or many people are concerned about mass transit. Um, And with the the combination of that, with low priced oil, um, do we see the suburbs now uh, shifting to be uh, more important than the CBDs uh, today? Uh, What do you think, Dan?
1: Spencer, I feel like turning that question around because we're looking to you all and your colleagues for wisdom on that. I think every company is now, uh, I've done a number of interviews with CEOs of major companies, and they're all learning from this experience. I hear CEOs say 25% will continue to work at home. People are going to have a preference to be in their car, uh, if they have a choice between that and mass transit, or if they have a choice between that and a short-range air flight. And in some ways, it suggests that uh, but again, you guys are the expert on that, that will we see a shift back towards a more suburban dispersed rather than a central central city? I don't know.
0: Spencer, what do you think? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked me on my podcast. I think you're going to definitely see it in the short term. I think the short term is clearly we're already seeing that shift. I know for a fact from speaking with my colleagues, we're seeing a significant rise of what we call TIMS, tenants in market in the suburban areas. Uh, and we think that's going to last for the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, We're also seeing some people renting houses uh, in these suburban areas as well. But let me turn to uh, yet another real estate expert. Craig, do you see not only uh, your uh, uh, colleagues, but your companies that you represent moving out to the suburbs?
2: We don't see anybody really doing anything of consequence right now other than it's really more the focus of getting through the COVID issue and simultaneously looking at the retooling of the energy business Uh, and a number of the energy companies are what are called essential services believe it or not and so there's been a big push by them to just get back to work do i think that long term it's going to change some things absolutely um but you know this is not just about houston you know it's about new york city it's about chicago it's about la it's about a number of them and what I think is going to come into play is the geographic constraints of, of the cities with what's been developed and not, uh, as well as how dependent they are on mass transit and how uh, social behavior is going to react to that. It's interesting, if you look at Houston, we have plenty of land to grow. Um, there's no shortage of suburbs. Uh, we certainly have what may have been considered to be a subpar mass transit system, uh, but we still have a CBD that is served by buses, and we've got some train systems that are going into place. But by and large, if, if companies decide that they want to, you know, spread out a little bit, not, not have their people so subjected to everybody uh, as a choice, I do think you're going to see some of the Sun Belt in the Midwest areas expand.
0: Let me dig into that for a little bit because, and I'll be uh, direct but polite. I've often been concerned about Texas because of its lack of rail infrastructure. Uh, are we now saying that in the long-term or certainly in the short-term, that the fact that it's a driving culture is a competitive advantage for Texas and Houston uh, and other markets like
2: it, Craig? Well, I think the jury's still out on that. I mean, I think uh, if you polled people today, they would say absolutely yes. Now, what happens if and when there's a vaccine? Are people going to wait for the vaccine? That's, uh, to me, that's still the question.
0: So, Dan, let me go back to you for a moment here. Do we see any long-term innovation happening to transportation because of the COVID crisis? And how might oil play a part in it using history as a guide? I think the COVID crisis really does favor the car
1: as opposed to mass transit. And until, as you say, there's a vaccine, I mean, think four months ago, we no one would have expected we'd all be working at home and, you know, and the, the lockdowns. So we still don't know if there's going to be a second wave of the, of the, of the virus or not, uh, what the timing is of a vaccine uh, and getting it out. So I think, uh, to use Craig's thing, I think the jury's still out on a lot of things. Part of the innovation is in how people, companies organize and manage their lives. Technically, I think the question goes back to the pace of the introduction of the electric car. And uh, the automakers, particularly in Europe, are uh, under a lot of pressure because of regulations for the European Union and countries to reduce co two and the way to do that is to get more electric cars into the fleet. what they don 't know uh, is you know are they going to be are governments going to have the money after all the money they 've had to spend dealing with this crisis to subsidize the rapid entry of, of electric cars, or is it going to be something that 's going to be slower so You know, I think in a sense, we're still in the middle of it. It's still, these questions aren't answered. And the other question is, of course, telecommuting, Uh, you know, electrons instead of molecules. How will that affect uh, work
0: patterns? Craig, let me ask you one more question. Right now is not such a terrific time for many of our younger professionals who haven't seen cycles, who haven't seen the price of oil collapse. What advice would you give to younger professionals today that are dealing with what might be their first crisis?
2: Well, I, I think I'd start by making sure they understand that this is not the first crisis. This happens all the time, it happens uh, periodically. and We always come back and it's the ones that learn from the cycle, take advantage of the time to really get out and expand your business horizons and learn about the businesses that we're in they are gonna be the ones that move ahead. And it's not just Houston and energy, It's How does energy affect Philadelphia, Chicago, Rio, London? Because we're all affected by this. And those that understand this business are going to be the ones that make it. Great. So Dan and Craig, on behalf of The Weekly
0: Take, thank you for today's terrific discussion about the oil business and how it applies to real estate. Thank you very much, gentlemen.
1: Thank you. Great to be with you. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you, Dan.
0: For more information, go to CBRE backslash The Weekly Take. Until next time, I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.